0: In this series we're in right now, we're talking about some of the lesser-known or maybe lesser-understood words in the Bible. The, generally, they end in I-O-N, and they s- often refer to different sorts of theology. And this morning, we're talking about adoption. Last Sunday, we talked about justification, we defined that word. And if you think through that, that word justification, it's a very, very simplistic definition is A declaration by God where he declares the sinner not guilty in Jesus Christ. But because of our salvation, God as the great judge declares you not guilty. And what we see in Romans chapter number 8, verse 29, is that we are part of something bigger and greater than just ourselves. Do you your Bible Romans chapter 8? Look at verse number 29. In verse 29 it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God has a, an eternal plan for you and for me doesn't matter what society tells you or the world tells you that you are a great cosmic accident. The Bible teaches that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's known you before the creation of the world. He knew who you were. And the amazing thing is he still decided to create you. And he has a purpose for your life. And we see a wonderful truth with this word adoption. A definition of adoption is declaration by God that the justified one has been made a member of God's family. A simplistic definition of that would be to be placed into the family of God. It's a declaration made by God. Every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And today's principle is this. God the Father has adopted the believer into his family. And as we build on what we talked about last week with justification, we see justification, a simplistic definition of that is to be declared not guilty. Look at Romans chapter number 8, verse number 1. So it's going back to the beginning of the chapter. He starts off with this wonderful truth. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. The beautiful promise we see there is we are not condemned. We have been declared not guilty by God. And as we continue going through that passage, we see that salvation has worked in our life. And as a result of our placing our trust upon Christ as our Savior, we've been declared not guilty. We've been justified. And then after that justification, we see that we have adoption. So we see in the order. We have salvation. We have justification, which takes place at the moment of salvation. And also at the moment of salvation, we have the wonderful promise of adoption. We looked at verse number one of Romans eight. Continue going down the the verses. You'll see verse number 14. And this is. Really, it's it's quite exciting to understand. And this is where I'm going to be quite concise this morning but I'm not going to rush through. I want you to understand a very simple truth that will transform the way that you look at yourself and the way that you look at others in your relationship with God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Remember that word adoption? To be placed into the family of God. It's a declaration by God. As sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, It's my dad, my daddy. In the book of Galatians, chapter number four, verses four and five, it backs up this verse and it complements it. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. That long definition of adoption again, it's the declaration by God that the justified one has been made a member of God's family. We have a relationship with only through Jesus Christ, which is our salvation. After that, we are justified by God. And after and through that, we are placed into positionally into the family of God through adoption. This right here changes the way that we we view our, our salvation. Sometimes we view our salvation based upon our emotions or based upon the fact of whether or not we had a good night's sleep the night before. And we wake up grumpy or happy and we base it upon our feelings and our feelings naturally go up and they go down, they go back and they go forth. But what we find here is that when we've been saved and we've been justified and adopted into the family of God, we have incredible and beautiful security. John MacArthur, who is a pastor and author, wrote a very thick book called Biblical Doctrine. And talking about adoption, he says this, The extravagant expression of God's love. God adopts the believer into his family so that we may relate to him not only as the giver of spiritual life and the provider of legal righteousness, but also our loving and compassionate Father. This morning, we have two application points since we have salvation and we've been justified. And now we've been placed into the family of God through adoption. We have two application points. We have the blessing of adoption and also the privileges of adoption. And we're going to walk through these. And these are application points. And so often as we read through the Bible, we come across words like adoption and we go, "Okay, I know what adoption means and we just move on. But when you take some time and chew on it for a little while and you start thinking, how does this affect my life? How is my life different because I have been placed into the family of God? How do I view myself? How do I view others? What difference does it make? Well, let's look at that this morning. First of all, we'll see the blessings of adoption. If you can imagine a judge, you're standing before a judge, and the judge looks at you, and you're obviously guilty. But because of wonderful salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the judge looks at us and he says, not guilty. That's a declaration that's made by God. And in 1st John chapter number 3 verse 1 it says, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us." That declaration is an incredible love that is only through Jesus Christ that we should be called children of God. So we have our salvation for grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the declaration that we've been justified and declared not guilty. But at the same time, much like if you can imagine a judge and you're standing before a judge with children that you want to adopt, the judge looks at your family and he looks at all the paperwork and he makes the declaration and says, now you are part of the family. This is just a visual picture. God looks at us and says, you are not guilty. And the very next declaration that he makes with his gavel, and he says, now, I don't only want to call you not guilty, I want to call you that you're part of my family. And that changes the way that we view ourselves. No longer are we just the second-rate people. What does the Bible say about us as a result? As a result, we, we see that we have a blessed new family. First, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a wonderful gift of God that he has given to us. It's not something that we've earned by doing good works where our good had to outweigh our bad. It's only through Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we have the right to become children of God. And it's a plural there because it's not just for me, it's for you too. And now we have a new family. We are called brothers and sisters in Christ. And oftentimes people refer to each other as uh, my brother in Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of the fact that we are part of God's family. So when you've been adopted into his family, we have a, we're blessed with a new family. And you may look around because Christmas wasn't all that long ago. And you look around your family and go, this is my family. I'm stuck with them Forever. When you come to church, I hope you don't have that, positive, that negative attitude. I you look around and go, this is my family. Look at who's part of my family, and I get to be part of this. It's part of something bigger and greater than just myself. It's part of God's big picture plan for my life, but also for the world. I am and you are a small part of that. We're blessed with a new family. We're also blessed with a new name. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a number of names. We have the name Christian, which means to be Christ-like. We have other names. We're called born again. We see that in John chapter number 3. We, we see that we are called heirs of God. We have chosen and holy and blameless, the book of Ephesians teaches us. We are members of the household of God. We are called citizens of heaven in the book of Philippians. We're called the righteousness of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you have a new name, you don't really want to be called by your old name anymore. A number of years ago, not that long into our marriage, my wife's maiden name is Brown, Tammy Brown. And I referred to her after we were married as Tammy Brown. And it was just, and I was doing it as a joke. (laughs) But she corrected me immediately, as in, I am not Tammy Brown. Now, I don't blame you because Nelson's much better. <laughs> she knows I'm joking. That was her old name. That's not who she is anymore. Not just legally, but also relationally. She's now my wife. We're, she, we're together. Now she's Tammy Nelson forever. Except you're on Facebook. She calls herself Tammy Brown Nelson. <laughs> we have a blessed new name. We're no longer the old person anymore. Now we're a new person in Christ. We have the blessings of adoption. Now, as I was going through the theology books and going through the Bible and seeing all of the different blessings, we could be here a very long time talking about the incredible blessings of God. But but moving on from that, we also have some privileges. There's some privileges to being part of, of God's family, being adopted. That's our second point, the privileges of adoption. First of all, we see a privileged position we're positionally different than we were before now that may sound a little bit confusing but if you think about it like like you're no longer a second rate now you are you have a new position in the book of galatians it gives us some positionally where we are verses chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 and because you are sons now ladies that's referring to universals you too Because you are sons, God has, first of all, sent the Spirit. So positionally, we have security because we have the Holy Spirit securing us in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and makes us secure. So therefore, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. Without slavery, we now have liberty. We've been set free in Christ. We are no longer underneath the bondage of sin and the bondage of the old way of living. Now we have freedom from sin. And it goes on, it says, you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now this right here is absolutely beautiful. The Apostle Paul uses the image and the theology of adoption into the family of God a number of times. And when he explains it, and when he writes his letters, he's writing primarily to Gentile people that are living in the Roman Empire. Yes, there was Jews in part of these these churches, but he was primarily writing to people that understood the Roman law. And as a result, we see here, this is the Roman adoption that he's referring to. And it's really quite remarkable what what would take place here. And the thought behind it is, I love my children, deeply love my children, but they just showed up one day. But an adopted child is specifically chosen, and they say, I love you, and I want you as part of my family. And with the Roman Empire, when you would bring a person into your family and adopt them into your family, you wouldn't have the ability to put them down at the end of the line in regards to their inheritance. In fact, it was quite the opposite. If you can think of a family in the first century, what would take place is many of the families have multiple children. And the firstborn, because I'm a firstborn, so I'm pretty happy about this, that the firstborn would receive the majority portion of the inheritance and the rights and privileges of being the leader of the family. And then after that, you go further down and percentage-wise and percentage-wise and percentage-wise. You go down to the end of the line. Then you are at the end of the line. And percentage-wise, you receive much less than others in your inheritance. In the Roman law, what would take place is when you adopted a child into your family, legally, you don't put them at the end of the line so they get nothing as, as a you know, a tenth rate family member. They become a uh, what it refers to as a firstborn son. They have all the rights and privileges of the firstborn because they have the privilege of being adopted and chosen into that family. That's what he talks about there. Then an heir through god you are not a second rate or third rate or tenth rate family member of the family of god he says positionally i'm bringing you right to the front of the line that doesn't mean it's a get rich quick scheme doesn't mean that your life's going to be easy and without any problems what it says here is god doesn't look at you like oh, it's only you again he says come into my family i want to hear from you i want to hear your prayers i want to work in and through you in your life we have the privileged position We also have privilege provision. A privilege provision. In Matthew chapter number 7, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says in verses 7 and also verse 11, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Go down to verse 11. It says, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you came to my home, I would welcome you into my home and I would tell you, make yourself at home. And you probably do the same thing. And I kind of mean it, but I also mean make yourself at home, but make sure that you go home. That makes sense? You can make yourself at home, but at the end of our time together, you have to go home. And some of your children have come to my house, and they have made themselves at home. And I hear the fridge open, and they help themselves to the fridge. And that's fine, as long as they go home at the end. Now, my son came to our church office on Saturday, and I was working there. And he, he totally denies this. But on Friday, Tammy had brought three pieces of cake to the office, and I left them there, and he came, it was only in the office for five minutes. And he denies this, but I don't know where else the cake would have gone. Because he came into the office for five minutes, he goes to the fridge, and I hear the fridge door open, and I go back later, and there's only two pieces of cake. He's my son, he's welcome to the cake. But if you walk into my office... as a guest, and you open your fridge up and you steal my cake? Can you see the difference? When you're a part of the family, you're comfortable. You're not expected to leave at the end of the meal. You're expected to stick around. You want to put your feet up on the couch and you want to be comfortable. You want to be totally relaxed because you have a privileged provision. We also see that we have the privilege of discipline that's our third and you often think of discipline as a negative where i don't want to receive discipline but when we don't receive discipline the bible says that if you weren't really a child of god then you wouldn't receive discipline. But because you're children of God, He's going to bring things into your life. He's going to warn you of the consequences of sin, ultimately to lead us to repentance. He's going to use those negative circumstances and to bring us ultimately into spiritual maturity. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12, verses 5 and 6, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And that's a quote from the book of Proverbs, chapter number three. And what we see is God loves you, so therefore he disciplines you. He loves you, so he corrects you. He doesn't do it vindictively. He does it in order to bring us into spiritual maturity, to help us to grow and to develop, to be the people that God wants us to be. If God was simply a yes God that gave us everything we wanted, he would be no different than a genie that we'd have three wishes with. But this is the God, the creator of the universe, who knows the beginning from the end. And as he corrects us, it proves his love, and that we're part of his family. That passage continues on in verses 7 and 8 of Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In other words, if he's, your, if he's really your son, he's going to be, take care of him. He's going to guide them and mold them and shape them and discipline them. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Several years ago, I came across a video. And this video is relatively short. It's only like 38 seconds long. So pay attention quickly. It's of a, of, of a U.S. talk show of a lady named Jenny Jones. Now, I'm, a, I'm by no means a proponent or encourager of Jenny Jones or any of those U.S. talk shows like this. But... What they were doing, they were bringing children in that were, that were very rebellious, and they were talking about bringing in people from the army in order to shout to them, kind of like boot camp. And they were trying to, to turn their ways. And this was one of the conversations that, was, that took place, quite powerful. Do you love that woman right there? You love her, right? Yes, sir. Now, you're not an adult till you're 18. Do you want me to be your daddy for the next eight years, son? Huh? Yes, sir. You do? <laughs> Why do you want me to be your daddy? I have no daddy. You have no daddy? Well, let me tell you something. Come here, give me a hug. That totally took the man by surprise. He was trying to use hard love and trying to shock him into conforming. In reality, the boy just wanted to be loved and wanted the guidance and discipline of a father. And the Bible says there, if you go to the previous verse where it says in verse number 7 and 8, it says, if you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Thank God for that conviction that we feel when we do wrong. When we do wrong and you feel bad about it, and it's the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life, thank God for it. Don't ignore it. Thank Him for that conviction. Repent and let Him guide you. That passage continues on in verse number 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. He's talking about real fathers as in earthly fathers, but He disciplines us for our good. Here's the motivation, it's underlined on the screen, that we may share His holiness. We'll just take some time and think about the the blessings and the privileges. What does this do for you in your life? And what is your old name and what's your new name because of Jesus Christ? In the book of Romans, chapter number 8, Verses 31 through 39, it says, and this is like a, a, what, a so what statement. We've been justified, we've been adopted, so what? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for receiving communion, Lord, we want to take these elements of bread and juice and remember the the sacrifice that you made on the cross. That Those final lines of those verses we just read, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Lord, it's because of your death on the cross and your glorious resurrection from the dead that we can have this hope for today and this hope for the future. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for for my sins and the sins of the world. And Lord, I pray that we will allow the Holy Spirit even now to prompt us, to discipline us where we need to be disciplined so that we can respond correctly to your discipline and live in the wonderful, glorious adoption that we have in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.